We have created shows with Hugo finalists. This week we have the best professional artist. Next week we have the best novel and more coming. And I am personally really excited about this and I want to thank the crew and everybody else involved in making this happen. And this is a great opportunity for me to introduce the person who made this show possible, Sarah Felix. That is a wonderful tiara, Sarah. What people don't know about you or might not know about you is on Constellation 2020, the Facebook group, you started giving away or doing giveaways of tiaras. And I think this week, within a few hours, we were at 1,400 people requesting a tiara. Is that true? That's right. The, the giveaway um, this week just went gangbusters. Usually it's like 800 people, which still- Oh, is- just 800. That's it, really. <laughs> but, but this week it was uh, 1,400. I guess this tiara specifically resonated with a bunch of people. You're a Hugo finalist. You're a mixed media artist. You're the president of ASPA. Of course, we're really appreciative of ASPA and you making this happen today, the Association of Science Fiction and Fantasy Artists. You guys, I think, give out the Chelsea Award, right? And you created two Hugo bases, two Lodestar Awards. I also believe this is the most important part. This is key to the introduction. You went to Space Camp. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Space Academy, right? Right now, get it right. Yes, Space Academy is for older kids as Space Ah. Camp. For younger kids. So I was in high school when I went. (laughs) Definitely an achievement. I am jealous growing up in Israel and not having that. So with that, we are soon going to talk to the artists, the finalists. We're going to talk to Tommy Arnold, Galen Dara, John Picaccio, Yuko Shimizu, Alisa Winans. And we are also going to see a clip from Ravina Kai, who couldn't be here today. But at this stage, I think I can just turn it over to you and you can call the first artist and we can get started. Okay, great. Since Tammy already talked about the Hugo packet coming out, I don't really need to talk about the Hugos, but yeah, they're about to be voting. So we have a bunch of artists that I admire greatly, every single one. First, I'm going to bring up Tommy Arnold so he can give a little bio and show some of his art. Tommy? Hey there. So I'm a painter, (laughs) but (laughs) unlike a lot of the other Hugo finalists who I'm just honored to be on with, I do a lot of my work digitally. Some of us work digitally, some work traditionally, but I've always been really attracted by the digital side of art. And uh, beyond that, I sort of just agree with Mondrian that the position of the artist is humble. They're sort of essentially a a channel. So just sort of see it as my job to sit back and absorb what's going on in the culture, especially the culture of science fiction and fantasy and how that relates to the world, which of course it always should, and try to best represent those stories and the norms we're all sort of moving towards together. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, and do you want to show the piece of art that you... Sure. So I think the reason I was nominated this year is that I just happened to be the artist chosen to work on the cover of Giddy in the Ninth by Tamsin Muir, who's nominated for the Hugo for this novel, I believe. Just a super fantastic story. When this came in, I didn't know anything about what it was going to be yet, but you know, the artist Irene Gallo over at Tor.com Publishing just said, read this, read this, it's awesome. So I read it, I'm a big reader and I, I absolutely loved it. And uh, we tried going a couple different ways for the cover and um, ultimately this is sort of what we came up with. It was tough because this was right around the time that I was unable to basically draw or paint at all. I had really crippling wrist pain due to uh, tendonitis. I took a fall while I was rock climbing. And so this painting is just a little bit different stylistically in some of its choices uh, because I was basically crying the whole time I painted it. (laughs) It took way longer than normal, but the book was just so awesome that uh, I sort of tried to make the effort for this series. And uh, it's one of the things I'm most grateful for in my career so far is just to be a part of this series. I have a lot of, I just take a lot of joy from it and I'm really happy to see its success. So I'm rooting for for Tamsin this year. Great. And then we have uh, Galen Dara. Galen, would you like to give your bio? Hi, so um, I'm an artist painter. Uh, Also, like Tommy, do most of my client work digitally as well. I've been working in the industry for about seven years, but I I got my start working with a lot of editors and authors doing some small press, small press and crowdfunded projects. My first Hugo nomination was in 2013, and it was actually as uh, for the best fan artist. But by that point, I'd actually starting to get some professional jobs too. So in 2014, I was nominated for the Hugo for the best professional artist category and have been nominated a couple of times now and it's several it is it is an honor such a deep honor and a little bit humbling every single time and the artists that I share the ballot with are uh they're like my heroes and my people I've looked up with my entire career so uh an honor to be here today with 
you know. And the art piece that I wanted to show is a piece that I did for Lightspeed Magazine, uh, issue uh, uh, 112. Um, and this one was actually a cover, uh, but it, it went along specifically with the story for Bo Bolander, who wrote a song, uh, a, short, a short story called A Bird, A Song, A Revolution. And in this art piece, her story was this lyrical, poetic, densely packed with metaphor and symbolic imagery. And those are my favorite kind of stories to illustrate. The story that she wrote, it drew these very fine threads between this like prehistoric character all the way into this futuristic post-apocalyptic character. So when I was doing this illustration, I was trying to indicate here is a great civilization that has fallen. Here is a character that maybe could be from an ancient time. Um, here is a glimpse of shooting stars in the background that may or may not actually also be futuristic spaceships that could indicate hope for humanity. But the focus of it, all of it, was to be this, this little, this flute, that, this little handmade flute that pervaded the entire story. So those are a few of the images and ideas and concepts that I had from the story that Bo had written that I wanted to try and represent in this illustration. That's awesome. I really enjoy that piece. And uh, next we have John Picasso. John? Yeah, so uh, good to see everybody. And um, yeah, so this is my first time doing one of these for uh, a Hugo presentation. I, I kind of had a bit of a history, I guess, with the Hugos in that um, I think my first nomination was back in like 05. That's like, what was that, 15 years ago? That's horrible. But uh, it's always an honor, like Galen was saying, to be a part of this uh, tradition. It's an amazing batch of artists. And I, I think what maybe some people don't realize is, I, I think it was even before I got, first got nominated, the Hugos kind of had a very, let's just say, limited selection set of artists that would get nominated in this category from year to year. And it was an amazing batch of artists. I mean, it was people like Michael Whalen, Bob Eagleton, Don Mates, Jim Burns, folks like that. I mean, legends. But what I love is that over the years, this, this category seems to have you know, branched out, gotten more diverse, and you see more new names coming in every year. Go was here last year, Alyssa's was her first year, Tommy, I think it's his first, his first year. So it's just great to see all these new names coming into this category. It's great to see the growth of the field. As far as myself and where I've kind of come from, um, I started working full-time as a cover illustrator for science fiction fantasy back around, I guess, 2001. I think that's when I left architecture behind started going full-time towards uh, doing book covers, and I really haven't looked back since. Yeah, I, I guess 2012 was when I actually went to Hugo. I think I'd lost seven years in a row, I believe. I think I was hearing things like the Susan Lucci of science fiction art, you know? It was, it was don't, go look up Susan Lucci, don't ask me to explain it. But I, I, yeah, I lost a lot of years and then finally broke through. And um, the funny thing is once I broke through, it was, it was obviously for all these covers I was doing for science fiction fantasy. But I think at that point, I realized I wanted to start also doing my own work, my own personal work. And that I think has started over the years to maybe become more my claim to fame than even just my book covers. And namely this thing that I've been doing called uh, Loteria, where I take these old Mexican bingo cards that I grew up with and try to reinterpret them with my own art. And that's kind of become not only a personal vehicle, but more and more part of my my whole uh, identity and revenue stream. And I guess before we cut to the art, I'm, I'm gonna sh pull out something real quick. So um, as far as media, I, I would say that I'm definitely a, a, a graphite guy who uh, then does sort of digital finishes. So here's an example of the original. And when we cut to the slide, we can, uh, I can talk, talk over it, but that's the, the, the graphite version of, of what we're gonna see here. So you see the graphite there to the left. And yeah, so I basically am just, slaving all day long on, on these graphite drawings that I, I, I love to death. If you look off to the upper right there, you see like the original card, the original Loteria card. Those things have been around for like a hundred, that, that particular, particular version has been around for like a century. And so that, that's an example of the deck that I, that I play with, my family plays with. There's like 54 cards in these decks and I just take them one by one and just try to do my interpretations of them. And I can talk about where I'm going to go with them maybe later in the cast, but you got the graphite drawing to the left, you've got the final color version there in the middle, and then of course the, the card design, very simple, um, almost kind of proportioned like an Italian tarot card, and that's sort of the final product. And so that's an example of those kinds of things, and we can talk more about that down later in the podcast, but good to be here. You're right, I, I really do appreciate the diversity that's come into this category. It's, it's really great to see, so um, I hope it continues. Me and too. 
Next, we have Yuko Shimizu. Yuko, are you there? Yes. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Hi, uh, my name is Yuko Shimizu. Um, I am, uh, as you can tell from my accent, uh, I'm a Japanese illustrator uh, based in New York. I've been working for, I think, 17 or 18 years by now. Um, but um, last year, I got nominated uh, as uh, one of the best artists candidate for the first time. I kind of flipped out because, you know, I grew up loving science fiction and fantasy and my dream was to become Frank Frazetta of the next generation <laughs> when I was like you know when I was like 12 or 13 you know that's how I started drawing and painting um, and then since then I branched out and I do a lot of different things uh, I started out in editorials so newspapers and magazines mostly and then I started doing book covers and then this like you know my childhood love came back uh, like Tommy I worked a lot with Irene and Tor, Torbrooks so now I'm slowly coming back to my first love it's kind of like that so maybe we can look at the work yes so um I thought about showing my tour cover you know last year when I got nominated I had a lot of book covers and science fiction fantasy related things coming out and then I was like oh this will be the first and the last year I will get nominated so I flipped out again when I got nominated this year and like wait what and then I thought about like you know what made me nominated it's probably this this is one of the series of for illustrations I did, uh, not for a book, it's for a Criterion Collection. Uh, they published like the collector's DVD and they last, end of last year before Christmas holiday season, they published uh, like a 15 film box set of early Godzilla films. And I was fortunate enough to draw uh, cover back cover and some interiors and this is from the interior uh, where the eight DVDs or something they're like pockets and they go all going so this is the image I wanted to show today yeah that's a that's a great image too I love the color choices in that image and I'm gonna have to get the criterion collection <laughs> <laughs> and uh, finally we have Alyssa Winans Alyssa are you there yeah hi I'm Alyssa. Uh, I am also an illustrator. Uh, I've been working in the industry for about nine years now, and I actually got my start in games, uh, fantasy games briefly, um, and then also musical games for a short period, a little educational stuff. These days, I actually work uh, as a corporate illustrator. I have a day job at Google, and then I do the fantasy stuff by night and on weekends. Um, so I was very surprised to uh, Get this nomination it was kind of one of those moments where i thought how did they find me because i don't think i'm very well known i don't think my work is very well known um so the only thing i can think of is being really grateful to tor and tor.com um because i think that's where most of my my published fantasy work has come from i do a lot of personal work but it's always kind of a, a treat to get fantasy sci-fi related uh freelance work because that's also something that's near and dear to my heart from childhood like many others so yeah I guess we can take a look at the art. So this was a cover I did for Desdemona in the Deep. It's a novella by CSE Cooney, um, commissioned by Tor.com Publishing. And so I, I'm really happy when I get manuscripts, uh, when I, I get the commissions, because it's really fun for me to read the books. It's, there's something like very magical about being like, this isn't published yet. So you're seeing things ahead of time. Uh, but this one was a pleasure to read because there's just so much rich detail. Claire, the writer is so, masterful at creating kind of this really rich world. So uh, doing the sketches for this one was really enjoyable. Um, and they went with the antler crown, which I don't, I don't know if I'll have the opportunity to draw antlers again in my career. So I was really grateful for that. Yeah, uh, it's one of my things in the packet this year, so. Well, obviously I like crowns, so I'm really, I love that piece as well. <laughs> this, I think, oh no, we also have a video from Robina who couldn't make it um, because she's in a time zone that was not conducive to the meeting, but I think she sent in a clip, so let's see her clip. Hi, 
Uh, I'm Ravina. I'm a freelance illustrator from Melbourne, Australia, and um, I'm so sorry I can't participate in the panel today. It would actually be about 5am my time, so I figured that was a bad idea because I probably wouldn't be able to form coherent sentences that early in the morning. But I'm really glad that I get to make this video just to say hi and tell you a little bit about what I do. So I mostly illustrate books, but I do a bit of everything just to keep things interesting. I love creating images that are kind of poetic and slightly dark and gothic. And I always aim to add a surreal or fantastical element to my work because I think that's what makes someone stop and look at a piece more closely. And they kind of start wondering what it's about, what the story behind it is. And I think that's a really important thing when it comes to illustrating books. In the science fiction and fantasy world, I've done a lot of illustrations for short stories on tour.com. These are always really fun because I can be a bit experimental and weird with them um, because there aren't many rules when it comes to illustrating short stories as opposed to something like book covers, which goes through a lot of revisions. So I've also created the spot illustrations in Shawnee McGuire's Wayward Children series, which I'm actually a huge fan of as well. And in terms of stuff I have coming up, I recently illustrated an anthology of dragon-themed short stories edited by Jonathan Strayan, and it features a whole bunch of really, really amazing fantasy sci-fi authors, and that's being released in June. So that's a little bit about me. Uh, again, I'm really sorry I can't participate in the discussion today, but I'm sure it'll be amazing. The other artists that are nominated are just some of the most amazing artists, illustrators working today, and they're all wonderful people. And I look up to them and I'm inspired by them. So uh, yeah, have fun guys and thanks. Okay, well, there you go. There's all the introductions for everybody. Gaddy? Absolutely. So before we get to the panel, and I appreciate this time, we raised the question at the beginning of the show, which David Breen also touched on, and it was this feeling that there is something special in science fiction and fantasy, in the connection between the art and the written word. And we didn't really know necessarily how to explain it. I'll turn it to Karen in a second. But we want to address this question to the panel. What is this special resonance in these genres between the arts? How does that work? Are we imagining this? Because often I'm just in awe on how these things work together so well. Karen? And I, I like to think of it as the way that a story sort of wanders through mediums with the same characters, the same story, and sort of what the process of reinventing or, or slightly, maybe literally re-envisioning it is uh, for you. And, and uh, some of you actually talked about this uh, just a little bit with, with how you do book covers, but would, would love to hear more about the, what is, what is the re-envisioning uh, process um, and how does it you know, interact with this resonance? In a way, it's kind of like uh, feeling home, like opening an epic fantasy novel and reading about castles and kings and dragons and the vastness of time, and it just brings us in. And with that, Sarah, please. Well, I actually think it's really interesting because in the panels that I've been at the conventions, not all artists actually read the books or, or stories that they're illustrating. And it's, it was a great thing to hear pretty much every single one of you say, yeah, I read this story and this is what I came up with. Um, so yeah, how does that affect your, 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 your illustrations when you are actually having to, do you get the whole story or do you just get a portion of the story? How does that work? My preference is to have the whole story and to read it because I find I'm able to, uh, my creative process is different when I'm able to read through it and find my own favorite little tidbits and symbols and images. That's my preference versus just getting an art brief, which sometimes also is what you get and you're able to work with and I'm able to work with that as well. But I love being able to find my own favorite little bits and things in the story. John? So I think I, the way I look at it is, um, you know, it's almost like you're trying to take a story and treat it as if you're introducing a friend to a bunch of friends. You know, if you're gonna introduce somebody to a bunch of friends, you don't talk about the first couple of bad things that you want to share with them about someone. You, you always try to pick out a couple of strengths, their character of things that the other people would find interesting. 
And that's kind of the way I think about it when I'm doing a piece of cover art. I'm trying to introduce this story to a bunch, to an audience. And so I'm, it's, it's always going to be personal for me. I'm going to read that manuscript or read whatever part of the manuscript I can get to find what connects with me. And I'm not anything special or unique. I'm, if, if it's special to me, it's hopefully going to be special to a lot of other people. So I'm trying to find a couple of touchstones and use those as the springboard for how I'm going to create a visual to connect it with that audience. I'm, I'm never thinking about a story in terms of how do I connect this with the biggest audience possible. I'm trying to make it personal, connect it with the people who I think will talk about that story with a real passionate word of mouth, and then hopefully it'll spread like a virus from there. That's kind of how I start off looking at these things. Right. Tommy, you mentioned uh, the Gideon books, and so, oh, sorry. <laughs> you mentioned the Gideon books, and I know there's two out now, and you've read them. And have you had feedback from people who, I know there's a big following for those books, tried to understand those books. <laughs> They're just, <laughs> but have you had a lot of feedback from the following from the Gideon books? Uh, feedback in what way do you mean? About yes. how they like the book or how they like yeah. the art? Does the art resonate with a lot of the people reading it or? Apparently. <laughs> It's fun to be, uh, like Alyssa mentioned, the first to read something and get a chance to respond to it. When I talked earlier about an artist being a channel, uh, and I think that's what um, John and Galen both mentioning too, when you know they talk about reading it and what they get from it. John mentioned that maybe he's not all that individual. But on the other hand, he is quite individual. And so that's where we really all have our art directors to thank. A number of us have mentioned clients that we work for. The art directors, uh, like when Galen said that there's a you know, sometimes just a brief, we have to trust our art directors to know what kind of things from our art we're going to respond to and then channel out into the world properly to call the right people. And so that's why I said, I just feel quite thankful to Irene for reaching out to me to channel that story because it was exactly my kind of story. It had highly competent, confident, sarcastic, witty characters. It had high action, but it wasn't about action. It had tons of incredible mystery. There was all these great things. So then the problem becomes, well, what do you show? Um, what I always tend to focus on is character because the strength of will in a character is what I always really respond with uh, to and try to like a, I don't know, like an object reflecting light, just put that back out in the world. So I was just like, I'm not going to hold back on this. Let's just go. She's strutting right at the camera. She's looking right at us. She's like Maverick. She's got the glasses. She's smirking, you know, everything. There's stuff exploding all around her and she's literally dissolving from the legs up. But she seems happy and cool with it. Um, you know, even talking about it now, you can tell this stuff just gets me excited. And so um, with that one, I was able to read the book, but not always. Um, and when an art director reaches out to you, you just have to trust that they want you to be selfish and channel what you think is cool. So even if I don't get to read a story, I try to take all those thoughts and go, what, what if that, but just like this time, it's a totally different culture and character. Well, I'll just same energy. And I think each of us, we all, you know, we've all mentioned respecting each other, but all, everybody here has a very specific note, a sound um, that they produce that no one else can quite make. And that's what gets them hired. Um, I don't well, really yeah, know if I have more to say voice, on it than that. Your voice actually really fits that story. And so when I saw the cover of like, of course, that really resonated well with the, the storyline of that book. So Alyssa, do you, do you have any? <laughs> Uh, actually, just as a side note, I also read that book, and I really like the cover. Thank you, Tommy. Uh, <laughs> thank, thank you. Sorry, wow. <laughs> I'm saying embarrassing things on camera. Yeah, I, well, I already mentioned this, but I really like getting the full manuscript, not because I don't enjoy uh, getting the distilled brief, but just because sometimes when you're reading, you get to see, like, not only what happens, but also, like, what the author is trying to say, and sometimes those are two different things, so it's a little bit easier sometimes to glean that from the full manuscript, and even if, like, what they're trying to say is not something that will necessarily work best as a cover. Um, and maybe a scene would work better. Uh, sometimes you can work in little hints of that to the final image. So it just helps kind of make the image a little bit more personal to the story. If I can, if I can swing it. I just want to jump in and say, I totally agree. It's all that the texture of the story, all the other things that it's our job to put into like one tiny moment. Cause we don't have the luxury of pages and pages to tell. So I love what you said about, finding the things that they're talking about that they're not talking about and getting those feelings into the art too is that's part of the reason that I find covers, especially to be this nice high art form and the stuff that Yuka works on 
especially that's not always in our field where it's more about the ideas to an editorial. If I can see a picture that she's done and understand what the article is going to be about and how it's going to feel just from the pictures. And then I read it and it feels that way. Oh man, there's something really thrilling about that. So I'm really, I'm really like glad you said that. Nico, do you have anything to add? Yeah. So um, I also try to read every manuscript uh, if it's available. Sometimes it's not, you know, sometimes like, it has happened to me that like, you know, they are almost done with the covers and like, you know, almost going to print and something happened and they needed to like quickly change the cover. Like, of course I can't read it. And so I asked for, you know, a few paragraphs, but like the mood and tone of the story and the little moments, like, you know, some of you mentioned, like you can only get it if you read it. And every book, if, you know, every artist is different and every writer is different. Every writer has those tones, different sounds they make, and that can only get through reading. So I try, and also like, it's my hobby to read. I've been illustrating for like 17 years or so, and people ask like, you know, what artists influence you? And then like, I tell them like, look, I've been doing this for 17 years, and if I'm still getting inspired by other artists, I shouldn't be doing this. You know, that like you can do that in the beginning maybe, but then you have to find your own voice and do your own thing. So right now I'm in the stage that I get inspired by books, you know, not just science fiction or fantasy, but like different kind of books. I try to read books written by uh, authors of the, from the places I have never been. You know, it can be from the space, but it can be from the country I have never been. And that inspires me. And I feel like the, you know, like we come up with ideas as artists and our brain is also muscles. And like, you know, the people who want to work out, you know, you work out, you see the muscles grow. You know, like we think and we get inspired, we take in from all these different books and stories and our brains get work out and then you know, like we don't see it, but we see it in the outcome. So I think it's really important to read. Yeah, well, I, I think um, I hear authors also say that they read a lot at the beginning and then they stopped reading so much later because they are being influenced by other people. So it's kind of, I think it's some artists have that same type of look at, the, at things, but you go also have such a broad group of customers, I guess. <laughs> um, and how do you keep that personal voice consistent through all of those different types of art vehicles? I think in the beginning, you know, when I was starting out, like, and I also, like, I also teach in college. I teach at School of Visual Arts here in New York, and I mostly teach seniors, so they're graduating. You know, I tell them, look, in the beginning, you have to kind of, like, almost pigeonhole yourself. You know, like, if someone think of your name as an artist and like oh such and such it's someone who does this and that and then if they can't think of you in one sentence like it's probably not memorable so i started like very very narrow and i started in editorial and i specifically like i like drawing characters you know some of you mentioned like tommy you mentioned like you know you like characters i, I love people and i like characters too and so I started off like drawing like cute girls because I was good at that. And then most of my jobs came from men's magazines and teen magazines because they both deal with um, cute characters, you know, cute girls. And that's how I started. But then after a while, like, you know, like I get greedy in a good way, hopefully. So I want to do more, you know, like, okay, I want to do more of a serious, articles or like you know i want to work for newspaper articles and then i slowly branched out and i guess because like previously i have a job i have a career before this i worked in corporate for 11 years before i went back to art school so this is my second career and you know like my corporate career was okay but the one of the reasons why i wanted to be an artist is like i always wanted to be surprised and every day is different because when I was in corporate job, you know, the job itself wasn't that bad, but then I felt like, oh, did that happen three months ago or three years ago? Like you kind of forget because every day felt the same. So as an artist, I got greedy and I want to do as many different things 
as long as they fit into what I love and the clients can vision me doing it and then always good. So it's kind of like that. I saw Tommy, you were, you're definitely nodding your head to that. Um. <laughs> oh yeah. No, just totally resonate with the idea of wanting every day to be individual and work towards something great. Uh, Yuka is one of my big heroes because people always ask in this field, Oh, is it too late? Can I not be an artist? Yuko's always my number one answer. I'm just like, no, cause Yuko. <laughs> so solves a problem. And um, this all goes back to the idea of the resonances and things that David Brin was talking about, the divisions between science fiction and um, fantasy. And in, in my opinion, um, I don't know if, People listening will have read, uh, I assume some will, some won't, uh, Robert Persig's Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Then he wrote a follow-up book called Lila. And in both of those, he talks about that humanity sort of pursuing this nebulous concept called quality, but he breaks it down into dynamic quality, kind of being right on the cutting edge of experience, and static quality, which is taking good things that exist and then codifying them so that we can pass them on to other generations. I think David Brin's big beef with Star Wars is that it's static quality. It, it says things we already know about, but he thinks science fiction is all about dynamic quality and pushing forward. And as artists, we are really tasked with sitting right near the edge of dynamic quality. So what can we get from a manuscript? What can we perceive? And then translating that into a kind of quality that we can pass on and go, this, is, this isn't the real thing, but it points to that. Like what John was saying, we can just introduce you to that. Here's kind of in the neighborhood of that. And so, I just totally resonated with the idea of wanting it to be fresh all the time. I'm almost addicted to that, uh, to the point that sometimes I have to really smooth out and regulate. Uh, so that's why I was shaking my head so vigorously. <laughs> but I think, John, too, I think that's kind of why you move towards the creator-owned type work. Is that, maybe I'm just guessing here, but I thought that was more of an interesting approach to your art. Yeah, I mean, what kind of dovetailing off of what Tommy was saying there, though, you know, the first gig I ever got was the cover of a Michael Moorcock book, and it was cover and interiors, actually. And I remember going to Mike, and, I, and the editor and the, uh, the managing editor and the publisher took me to his house. He, he had a home here in Texas, and uh, this is like right back at the beginning of my career. And I remember sitting on the sofa and showing Mike some sketches of the interiors and saying, hey, uh, this is what I was thinking, but what would you, what, what would you kind of like me to do? And he said, you're the artist, you figure it out. And he said it in a really cool way. He didn't say it in a real uh, pushy, aloof way, but you know, he's just really elegant British cat. And he said it in a way that didn't hurt me, but it made me just sit there and think. And remember, this is my first gig. I'm green as grass. This is one of the legends in the field. He's got every right to tell me, look, son, you probably have no idea what you're doing. So here, here's how to do it. And, but instead he said, no, you need to just, uh, Trust yourself, basically, is what he's saying. And like I said, all he said was, you're the artist, you figure it out. So in that, that entire drive back to my house, uh, I remember Ben Ostrander, the managing editor, was driving. I'm sitting in the back seat just, just lost in trying to think about what that meant. And I realized it was the greatest gift I could ever have been given, especially at that point in my career, because the guy was saying, you've got the ball in your hands, boy, don't hand it back to the rest of the team, you know, it's up to you now to bring something to us that surprises us, that delights us, that takes us beyond what we could have imagined. And that is our job as artists, I think, is to, you know, again, riffing on what something that Tommy was saying earlier, when we're hired, that Tommy called it that special noise we make or that special uh, something that we might have, you know, art directors are asking us to do some, they're hiring us because we can do something that hopefully others can't. And bring something to, to the package that is unique and fresh. And I think it's that personal perspective. That's what I riff on when I look at all the artists in this category is there is that voice and you are, you know, always kind of transported when you look at the way they see that story and the way they see the world. So when I'm doing my Loteria stuff, maybe it's even just a little more personal, but I've always said, and you can look back at interviews over the years, I've always said all book covers are personal to me. I take them all personally. And even when the jobs are hard or, you know, maybe have a little more aggressive hands-on from sales and marketing, I always still find a way to somehow inject something personal. And I don't mean that personal means it has to be about me, because that's not what it's about. Trying to put some of your own personal voice that hopefully will then connect that story with that audience, if that makes any sense. Tommy, did you have something? Uh, I don't want to co-opt this too much, but it's such an interesting uh, thing to talk about, because as you say that, 
I could see each of us nodding and kind of thinking, haha, yeah, they all have a voice, but not me. Uh, I definitely feel that way, especially. I think almost everyone else uh, has such a more individualistic style of art than I do. I kind of just wanted to open it up for everybody, each one of the artists to say, do they feel that similar type of tension? Some people in here, their work is so known for how it looks. Other people, it's more in the middle and other people, it's just like, I feel like I just paint content and I'm barely there in the paintings, which from the outside is probably not true according to what John's saying, but I just thought it was interesting. Maybe everybody could chime in on that a little bit. Basically, do you feel you have a voice or does it, did it just, you just paint the way you paint? I'll say something very quick because I want somebody else to jump in on this. I was a guy who was all over the place when I first started doing shadow box assemblages, doing stuff that was more photography driven, painting. And I think it just comes down to finding that the, the media that you particularly enjoy playing in the sandbox with the most. And for me, that's graphite and drawing and then doing some digital accent on, on it. Your voice kind of comes out from the delight that you get using that tool. But I'm going to hand it off to somebody else. I'd like to hear somebody else talk than me. I find to be a really interesting question because it's something that scared me early on in my career was voice. It felt like almost like uh, this, I'm going to make a wrong decision and choose the wrong voice. For some reason, that was something that I was afraid of early on in my career. Um, and it didn't actually pan out that way. One of the things that I love about seeing particularly like this panel, like everyone here's work, we all have such incredibly unique ways at tackling what essentially is the same problem. Like, how do you create a visual for this piece of literary work? And what I find so just personally, uh, it gives me hope and humanity is to see the, all of the different ways that people solve that problem. And then especially, you're able to see that manifest. You're able to see the gears working a little bit if you spend some time with the person's artwork. And kind of rambling a little bit, but the, one of the things that I love is how much problem solving happens in art processes that is so very unique to the individual. And it's not a matter of this person doing it so much better than this person. It's just a matter of, wow, how incredibly awesome are these two answers to this question? How's that sound? <laughs> Sounds great. No, I, I think it's interesting because I think social media plays into a role in this too, because I get to see people's process way more than I did say five or 10 years ago. And that process is what makes it really interesting based on the artists that you're talking about. Alyssa, did you have anything to add? Um, I think Galen put it really nicely. It's like, to some degree, voice can be almost unavoidable just because of the way everybody thinks differently. Um, this is actually something I've been thinking a lot about recently because previously I did a lot of personal work. Most of my portfolio was all just things that I had conceived and come up with. And in some ways that's, um, I wonder if that's cheating a little bit because you have no, you can only use your voice in those cases because you're not really working with anybody or collaborating or having to mesh your voice to a problem necessarily. You're making up your own problems, which I think is just a different ballgame. Um, and so recently I have been doing more client work and I've been thinking about like, you know, is the work that I'm making for to solve these problems, is it similar to my personal work? Is it different? Like in terms of like how my voice manifests and I actually don't quite know yet. It's a little bit like, well, my voice sounds different inside my head and then you see a recording of yourself and you're like horrified. So it's a little bit like that, but um, probably to some extent with where all of us are in our careers, we can't escape the way we think and the way we work, so. Okay, we did have a question that's a little bit of a different topic, but somebody was asking if you are able to get museum or gallery showings regularly, do you show your work outside? How do you show your work? You know, start with Galen. Um. My initial training was actually as a fine artist, and so this was quite some time ago. Initially, that was the direction that my artwork was going. But right now, it's not something I currently have the bandwidth for. Right now, I'm mostly taking on client work, and the shows that I'm involved in will be like at conventions, like at these art conventions, at these artist workshops. And so I'm not right now involved in the gallery or museum scene. But it is something that is part of my backstory and my history. And it's always something that I have a little bit of a pin in and that, okay, when some bandwidth clears up, but that's maybe, that's like a, I can't wait for that to happen. I have to make that happen, right? But you know, there's phases of life. Now, that's a pin that is like something I'm interested in and want to do again. And something I have done in the past, but not currently, not right now. 
So, um, other than the conventions that I go to, and I find a great amount of joy and satisfaction in the art shows at the various uh, literary and art conventions that are in the speculative fiction industry. But I see that as slightly different than the museum or gallery show question, personally. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely different. I, there was a piece at World Fantasy this year that you did that was an octopus. Yes. Pentacles. I wanted that so bad. <laughs> Get it. <laughs> but I really, really liked it. It was beautiful. <laughs> what about you, Alyssa? Do you do uh, sh shows as well? That was something I was starting to branch out with last year, just, you know, starting slow, like a local convention sort of thing, because I was curious about seeing how people reacted to my art, because online it's really hard to tell. You know, you're just like throwing out into the void and you just don't know really what people think. So I was hoping to actually have more in-person interactions and, and see, you know, who enjoyed my art. Um, but I really only got two of those down and then all this happened. So I'm very experienced in that uh, area still. Right. Okay, Yuko, I have to go to you because you have that cute little dog <laughs> in your hands. <laughs> what about you? Do you do shows? Um, I haven't done any. Like in the beginning, I was really interested in fine art. And then my career in illustration started. And I feel like, you know, as a, as a freelance illustrator, I almost never have enough time, you know, like if I'm in a studio, right now my home is a studio, so that's a problem, but like you always find something you need to do that's related to your work. So I used to not work from home, and I, I don't, I still don't even have internet connection at home. So like I'm relying on my phone, like, you know, thanks Steve, our phone connection is pretty good. So now I work from home. I haven't really sat on my couch in a long time. So I do get contacted by, you know, some galleries or someone curating group shows. Uh, I usually tell them like, you know, like, I won't say never, but I'm not in the stage in my life that I can, you know, like shift my focus on other things because right now illustration is the most important thing and it's taking up, you know, pretty much all my, all my time. So, and that doesn't mean you can't do it. You know, if someone who asks this question is an illustrator and wondering if he or she can branch into fine art, you can. But like, you know, like you have to sacrifice something. So if I get into, or you get into fine art, then you, you might have to cut back a little bit illustration, which might be okay for you. And then you should do it because everyone's different. It's not like, yes, no, you have to do this. You have to do that. Like right now, still for me, after 17 years, illustration is very, very important and something I want to put 100% effort into it. So I haven't done any. Uh, but if you want to, you, you definitely. Tommy, um, I know I've seen you at Spectrum, but I, I, have you done other shows and fine arts particularly? I sort of agree with Yuko that the thrust of this question seems maybe kind of focused on that get. Are you able to get museum or gallery showings? It sort of implies that we are hunting them. And I think what Yuko's pointing out is that most of us are not. In fact, we've all kind of said that, that this is just what's important to us. Alyssa said earlier, like maybe we're at a point where we can't escape the way we think anymore. If you look at it from sort of a safer wharf point of view, we think in illustration, it doesn't necessarily lead me to want to show my work in other ways. Uh, I'm kind of an oddity in that if I could just not ever and only make the art, I would. <laughs> but you gotta like, you gotta advertise, you have to be out there some to some degree. So it's always hard for me to even like open the door. I'm not like agoraphobic or anything. I just mean mentally to that whole world of showing it and letting it get judged and things like that. Sort of a whole nother mindset I try to live in about making it. And there's some fusion that can go on there. But yeah, I, I go to shows to talk to artists and be a part of talks like this with other artists and really examine the sort of intellectual patterns behind the work we do and things like that. But um, it's hard for me to imagine anything less up my alley than standing with my art talking about it for a long time because I sit with, they don't know, I sit with my art daily. It's up on the screen right now. I'm analyzing little things and making little changes. I don't want to talk about that with you. That's like when you ask a new parent, like, so how's your baby? And they're like, I talk about the baby all day. The baby is asleep. Let's have a beer. Okay. Okay. Well, I do, I do know when we, you were at Spectrum the year I was there, you had postcards. I know you work digitally, of course, but you were like, I've just got the postcards and I'm just going to give them away. 
and you know once they're gone they're gone so you definitely had a different approach than some of the other artists yeah it's just a just a a hook a gimmick to because i was there as advertising it was like i bought a billboard but the billboard was alive and i had to be it so how can i navigate that so i tried some different things um the sort of the same approach i take to art is just how can i break this down and make it a science that i understand sometimes when you understand the goal of something the methods you'll use change quite drastically so in that case i just wanted to be there and go hey i'm a thing but also if you want to talk to me you know where to find me as opposed to ranging around since then i've found that for what i want out of shows usually ranging around and talking to artists on their terms at their booth is better and just sort of cooler talk that doesn't really get to happen the rest of the time um so that's mainly why i go to conventions if i go now and john i know i've been in a couple shows with you so i know we've done <laughs> some art together um but how do you feel about gallery shows yeah i mean i don't see convention art shows to be the same thing as museum and gallery showing. So, I mean, most of my experience, of course, can be coming from convention art shows, and that's just a whole other thing. Museum gallery showings, as Tommy said, I mean, the question is saying, are you able to get them? You know, and, and the way I, I see it is, I think when I first started in the business, I think perhaps our end of this, of the art world was looked down upon by those conduits. That's not so, so much the case anymore. They're coming to look for this stuff and they're celebrating. You see these, it's not just at the Society of Illustrators that you're seeing these kinds of shows, but even at the Society of Illustrators in New York, you're seeing more and more SFF specific shows, you know, where it's about certain collections that are only about that stuff as opposed to the wider world of editorial and institutional uh, illustration, children's book illustration, all wonderful things, of course, but our end of things over here, this particular sort of genre, Collectors in those fields, in those milieus, I should say, they're looking for our stuff now just because it's the stuff. You know, they're not looking for so much. I mean, you obviously do have a lot of SFF artists who do have a sort of side career where they do sort of tailor a whole other voice to that market. But I guess what I'm trying to say is I easily see a time when Galen's work, Yuko's work, Alyssa's work, Tommy's work, Ravina's work, you're going to have museums and galleries who are going to say, I just want that artist and their work and what they do and what they've done over their career or wherever they're at in their career to come to my, you know, my house, so to speak, my gallery and put up their stuff. That's, it's, it's kind of just going to happen on its own, I think. I could be drastically wrong about that, but as far as myself, I don't sit there and worry about that stuff. I am much in the same pocket as the rest of the artists here in that I want to connect with the people. I want to connect with that larger audience as opposed to just the people that are going to walk into that little gallery museum and when that stuff comes around for me, I'll be ready for it. It'll probably be in the form of the Loteria stuff, most likely. That's probably the stuff that historically later down the road, people are gonna value. I know collectors already are valuing those originals. Uh, it, it'll happen when it'll happen, but you know, I, I wanna be in this pocket where I'm at right now, and I don't plan on leaving anytime soon. Well, we've, we've talked, you and I at least, about um, elevating kind of science fiction art in general, and that's kind of, some of the things that ASMA has tried to do is to do these, you know, gallery within a comic book show, a gallery showing of science fiction and fantasy so that we can bring that up and bring it more mainstream because it is already moving mainstream. So I think we're really trying to promote that. Absolutely. I'll, I'll just throw in one quick anecdote. So in 2016, uh, there was this show here in San Antonio where I live called Alamo City Comic Con. And I'll just make this real brief. You know, we, I think we've all been to comic convention type of things and they're, they're very retail centric, very booth centric. And, and I came up with this crazy idea of creating literally a gallery with these 16 inch thick, no, they were more like 24 inch thick walls that were on wheels, these big giant walls and bringing in sort of a, a real serious lineup of, um, of illustrators. So it was Brahm, Jeffrey Allen Love, uh, Peter Moorbacher, Ruth Sanderson, Todd Lockwood, and uh, I threw myself in there too. And so it was the six of us displaying in sort of a more gallery-centric environment in the middle of this comic convention. Um, and, and the Comic-Con was cool enough to kind of fund the, the, the making of these walls and the configuration of this little display area. And I'll tell you, I mean, these comic book fans who had no interest I think walking into that building when they first saw our stuff, you know, just were kind of, you could just see it was almost like that scene in 2001 where the apes were at the monolith where they would walk in and walk up to our stuff and just kind of stare and not even sure whether they wanted to walk into it. And once they crossed that threshold, they didn't want to leave. And so um, 
Yeah, I, I think those vectors are converging with between all of these worlds, and I'm I'm happy just kind of uh, working that channel, but still doing it through my own voice, and as opposed to trying to force myself to work to those people's terms. If that makes sense. No, I think it. I think it makes sense. I, I think we're all kind of working towards the same thing. Hopefully. <laughs> So we have another question. Who are some of the up and coming artists you're watching? So it's, who are you seeing coming up? Anybody want to start? <laughs> Tommy, go ahead. If you're watching an artist as an artist, to you, they're not up and coming because it's your own job to judge the quality level of these different things. So it's really hard to say who I will see as up and coming because to me, like their stuff's interesting. It's just interesting. I can think of people that have like 40 Instagram followers that I'm like, God, this is awesome. Follow, follow, follow. And then I can think of people who have 1.5 million that I'm like, it's kind of tired, you know? And it's not, you guys were talking about earlier between you, Sarah and Yuko, that we can't be looking at too much and wanting to be those people. So this is just a long form way of being like, there's a bunch, but I don't know. I'll throw out a couple of names. So I think like Tommy's saying, I mean, to call these guys up and coming is a little bit, it's kind of all relative, right? I mean, so Gary Viadial is a guy who has like 250,000. And I'm not just saying that in a, you know, a roundabout arbitrary way. He literally has a quarter million Instagram followers. And I don't think anybody's heard of him sort of in the community that runs through Worldcon, so to speak. Uh, we brought him as part of the Mexiconics Initiative a couple of years ago when I founded that and brought a bunch of us to Worldcon. Sarah was a part of it. And uh, Gary was someone no one had heard of. And I'll just tell you really quickly. I told Gary, I said, the only instruction I have for you is when you show up at the con, the first thing you do when you have your portfolio and you bring it up is you bring it to my table. He said, why? Because I want to buy a couple of pieces before anybody else sees the stuff. And I made him hold, I held him to it. What was beautiful is that he came up and I was just in the middle of buying my two pieces. And then Irene Gallo walks up and I was like, Irene, and Greg Manchus was with her. I said, hey, can you guys just stop for a second and come look at this guy's stuff? And I, I'm sure Irene gets stopped all the time. And you saw that look on her face. She's like, oh, don't do this to me. But I think we, she got to the third page's portfolio and she said, can I have your card? And you could just tell she just melted and fell in love. And Greg was just drooling. And it was beautiful to see this guy just boom, connect. And you knew he would. His draftsmanship is amazing. The second one is Robbie Trevino, also a guy who was brought in through the Mexiconics Initiative. Both these guys, as we've been saying throughout this panel, just have an amazing personal voice. Um, they're also amazing visual storytellers. Gary, when you read his Instagram post, has just a beautiful writing style, very lyrical. He's a born writer, and Robbie's got it in him too. So I look at both those guys as real inspirations, as not just illustrators, but guys who are creating their own IPs, their own story IPs, as visual artists. And that's a pocket that I'm very interested in right now. There's two people who I wanted to mention, and they're both, um, like the first one, her name is Sam Gay, and she's someone who I met through uh, a, an artist workshop that I met her a few times. She does the most incredible watercolor paintings, and I actually support her on Patreon right now just because I want to continue to get her updates as she's doing what she's doing right now. And, and she's in the speculative fiction community, but doing a lot of just her own personal art. And then the other artist who I just... Kathleen Jennings does these, because what she's doing is so different. She does paper cutouts. Like she creates these intricate, teeny little microscopic paper cutouts. And also she's a writer too. So she's just this incredible broad spectrum creative brain that I happen to just love. So Kathleen Jennings, both as an illustrator in her own right, and then also as a storyteller in her own right. Those are two names that just came to my mind just off the top of my head. And, and they're also both working in very unique artistic ways that resonate with me. They're, they're not up and coming, like they're working as artists. So it's, it's hard for me to like figure out if that's the appropriate label for them, but they're artists who I am, they're on the top of my mind right now. I think Kathleen was nominated for a Locus this year in the, yeah, yeah I heard she has some really great stuff as well. Yes. Alyssa? Did you? Um, yeah, like everyone else, I have no idea how to gauge where people are in their careers just by looking at their artwork, but I won't name any names because I'm actually terrible at remembering people's names, uh, and I'll definitely get it wrong, but I did notice that Society of Illustrators had put up their student competition show recently, sometime last week, and I was looking through it, and I'm just always blown away by where students at and the kind of things that they're going through, and it's just so fun to go through that whole gallery because everything's so different, you know, like so many different hands and thoughts and brains go into that stuff. So I really enjoyed looking through that and I'd highly recommend it if anybody has time. And it's online, so very easy to get to. 
can I mention, you know, like who's up and coming depends on your own personal experience, right? So like I've been doing this for 17 years, like on the longer side, probably John and I are on the longer side, John might be longer, but like, anyway, so like anyone who started after us is like up and coming. And I hope she won't be offended because I'm going to say something really good about her, but like Robina Kai was my assistant when she just graduated and I needed someone who's really good at um, helping me color, but who does something completely different so who won't get in, in, you know, influenced by my work. And she came through some mutual friends recommendation and she was then sort of still painting but started, you know, doing these pencil drawings and she wanted to be a fantasy artist and she felt like it doesn't fit in so she has to do paintings and then like, you know, there, there was like back and forth, like I saw her struggle and then eventually come in peace with it and now she's thriving. She's like, you know, like kicking everyone's butt by doing something completely different and I know she's not up and coming anymore but like for me, I know I know her from the start, and you know I'm really really happy where she's at, and that she's bringing something. She's like like 100% committed to the fantasy and science fiction community, and but also bringing the something very fresh and new and different from what we used to see in the field, and so. You know, like, though she's not up and coming, but, like, I need to mention her. And I want to quickly mention two other people. Like, they kind of, like, hover around fantasy world, but, like, not, like, strictly. I will leave the uh, website on the chat section, but Armando Vivet, he's Cuban-American. He does, like, these, like, super detailed, almost, like, like, 1980s Eastern European inspired art but it's very original and interesting and the world he create is amazing and the last person you probably have never heard of yet and he's Egyptian in Cairo Egypt and I only know him because he came to one of my workshops I did some years ago his name is Mohammed Mustafa he said like it's a very common name so like like I will have to like post his website because like there were like thousands of thousands of Mohammed Mustafa but like I was blown away when I first met him because I have never seen anyone who can draw and paint as well as him. I've been like showing his work to all my professional friends and like look he paints and draws better than you or me and he's still unknown so watch out for him so that's my recommendations i'll leave the comment on the chat awesome awesome it brings me back to tommy i know you were doing this podcast and i was just listening to the one that you start talking about kind of the realities of illustration and like being a sophomore and a, you know up and coming and the, those labels it you're right as you keep bringing up it's up and coming is kind of a, a loose term because it it is where does that stop and where does it, you know? Yeah, sure. I think that the main point we were trying to get at with that episode is just that we put all this stuff in our own heads. Someone right. else calls you up and coming, you can think you are. If someone says you're, you know, nominated for best artist, you can think you are. And the important thing is to separate those two realms and say, no, 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 I'm just here making the art. Anything that anyone else sees, whatever they like, those are footprints in the snow, but I'm already trying still to get to some cave of safety way beyond that has nothing to do with those footprints anymore. They're not the same at all. And so I think all of us probably feel that way. And it's one of the reasons why when things like this come up, we're sort of surprised and we just go, no, 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 but their footprints are super cool looking, you know? With episodes like that and that whole show is just sort of meant to promote, use community to promote intellectual discussion around these methods and how can we all move forward and get better, which we've seen, you know, the people that uh, John mentioned that were getting nominated over and over again in the beginning, to now, it's just a quantum leap in overall quality. Nothing against those guys. They were great, but they had to start a whole new culture. It was like starting a new religion. They were totally ghettoized, uh, separated from the mainstream editorial illustration that was so competent and incredible and at a very high level at the time. It's like TV trying to take over from radio. It just takes a long time to get its 
footing, but now it, it very much has its own community. And so anything I can do to be a part of and something like be a part of this panel to just promote our own community and how can we be better and make better form of what we do, I'm very passionate about. So thanks for listening. <laughs> no, and I also think that when we talk about book covers and you guys talk about adding your personal voice, 20 years ago, you just had these kind of standard book covers that didn't really talk to that. And so I think we've changed a lot as well, just in general, you know, as, as art kind of has progressed along. I noticed that Galen added two more people on the list over there. Is it um, Rebecca? It's one of those where, like, names just suddenly are like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, and that person, sorry. I mentioned Jabari Weathers and Rebecca Yanis, uh, Skaya, so. So any other um, questions? Oh, and a last comment there, just dovetailing on what Tommy was saying. Yeah, this will be, and then I'm going to hand off the ball to uh, whoever else wants to wrap up. So yeah, when you look at sort of the, the continuum of the Hugos um, as an award, but especially in this category, you know, I wasn't trying to denigrate, you know, Michael and Bob and Jim and Don and those folks. I don't think Tommy was either, but, you know, he, he's right in that they were sort of in some ways I wouldn't say creating vocabulary of how we do what we do, but they were working in a different era. And I always feel like with awards, they're only as good as sort of the continuum of people who have won them previously and where they go after you. And um, I do love that in the last, I guess, 10 years, we've definitely seen this award start to open up its sort of envelope for what different voices and approaches are allowed to be considered in, within this category. I mean, it's, it's fans that vote on this stuff. It's a certain specific community of fans that are very, very intelligent and they really look at this stuff very carefully, very passionate about it. But I really love the way this award category especially has opened up and the, the, uh, the talents that have been included in it. So again, honored to be here. Thank you. Yeah, Galen, you have anything to add? This has been an incredible honor to be here talking with everyone and an honor to be on the ballot with you. And thanks so much, uh, Sarah and Daria, for getting this conversation to happen right now, right here at this point in our history when it's actually really hard, hard to connect face to face. Also, I'm still a little bit teary from watching the launch from earlier. Like that's kind of pervaded throughout the entire, you know, all of this. It's been a very hopeful, positive experience. Thank you so much for making this happen. Yuko, do you have any comments to add? Yes. It's really nice to meet everyone. You know, like it's, there isn't a chance. Like I always see their pictures and some of you, I talk on Facebook or Instagram and all that, but like, it's really nice. Thank you so much for giving us a chance to actually get to know each other, uh, which is great. You know, like we, we talked about like artist styles, but like, I feel like, in US, like we're we're kind of told educated to be our own selves and artists the same. And I talk to artist groups in some other countries and like people say like people are not nice to each other because there's like like significant trend and you have to do make something fit in that trend in order to make living as an illustrator. And thus you know, if you don't get a job, someone else get the job because you kind of do the same thing. And then if you kind of do the same thing, you are not nice to each other because, you know, everyone's an enemy. And I came to New York and like become an illustrator and I meet like artists all over the US, all over the world. They do their own things and they're always nice because, you know, like you do your own thing. I do my own thing. Like, it's awesome and it's great to meet you. So like, it's really great to meet you all. Thank you, thank you for being here. And Alyssa, do you have something? Yeah, it's nice to meet you all as well. I, I can't remember the last time I got to have such interesting like art conversation with everyone and so many interesting questions posed about a variety of things. So it was really enjoyable. And you know, thanks to all the crew who helped put it together. It was an amazing opportunity. And you know, it's just an honor to be on the ballot with you all as well. And finally, Tommy, you're the last. <laughs> do you have anything to add? I think I was the first one to do a finally. Oh. I'm, all, I'm all good. I just totally agree with what everyone else has said. Everything. They all said something amazing. And I want to double down on what Yuko said because Ravina wasn't here. She didn't really get to have a voice in this conversation. But her voice is so strong, you can hear it from Australia. I mean, her work's incredible. Please check her stuff out. She's been a friend for a long time, someone I admire. She's so incredibly passionate and meticulous. Uh, she just really cares about this stuff. And I think that always comes through in art. 
Well, thank you guys for all being here. I really appreciate you all saying yes, because I wasn't sure <laughs> if you would. So I really appreciate it. Thank yeah. you, Sarah. And thank you, everybody. You can stay on with me if you like. We just wanted to spend a couple of minutes before we finish the show kind of geeking out about you because we're so excited about you guys. Karen, let me do the stupid Kempy thing again. Are you excited? <laughs> I hate being prompted about whether I'm excited or not, even if I'm excited. No, well, that's, that's, what I, that's why I do it. I'm a I troll. Know. Come on. <laughs> now you know that this is why he does it. Um, no, this was an amazing conversation that we just got to have. I, I loved getting to see how, how you guys think about the, the process of really it's like it's collaborating when, when somebody else has written a book and then you get to read it and reinvent it in, in a different medium. It was striking me. One thing I think maybe Tommy nudged against was that art is as much about perceiving as creating. And that it's, you know, first you perceive and it's then that that you bring into this new new piece of art and what a what a cool process that is and how much it really is a collaboration between whoever else has worked in the, the book of the world. I really think I've never seen a panel that was just so well balanced. I mean, at least it kind of pulled us in, you know, and made us understand things when everybody was talking. Um, John just shared his experience and brought in so much passion and what's happened and what's happening right now. I felt that Tommy kind of was just generous. He was generous. He was awesome at just helping Sarah and stepping in and giving people credit and bringing it into a new insight. Yuko, when I wasn't distracted personally by the amazing art behind her, you know, how dare you do this to me? I, I'm trying to listen to you. But she kind of uh, brought it into a place where I said, oh, I never thought about it that way. And of course, Galen, just the way you kept bringing in the fun, in my view, and the way you kept thinking of new people to give credit to. And the doggo. I mean, Yuko, you know, I appreciate you, but dogs first, I'm sorry. It's just, th this was... A, you know what? What I truly loved about this, and Sarah, thank you again for pulling this together, is the love, sharing the love. Whenever, like giving credit to each other, talking about each other this way, talking about the community you have, even though some of you have never met, it blew my mind. And bringing it back to, thank you, to NASA and the, the, the explosion into face where everybody survived. Um, and David Brin, who came in and sang for us. This has been an amazing episode, and I just want to just truly... Thank you all, and thank Karen and the production crew. Next week, we have Joe Haldeman. Next week, we have Joe Haldeman. <laughs> what timing? You know what, guys? This means the show's over. <laughs> thank you very much. I wish I, if, I, if I knew the rest of what Gadi had been about to say, I would finish it, but I don't. And so just thank you all so much. Uh, the, the other, uh, so it's Joe Haldeman um, who's doing an interview with us, and it will be the novels uh, panel of Hugo finalists. So we have guests from who are this today we saw the the artists who are nominated and next week we will be getting to speak to those uh nominated for best novel i see gadi moving again gadi i've said everything you were supposed to say just a little less eloquently so <laughs> it's all good I, I guess i froze what did that what happened oh just at the end well this was us some wonder and stuff and now we can all talk and have fun and uh enjoy ourselves so hey <laughs> And of course, we also want to thank Ravina Kai, who sent us the video. We appreciate you doing that. We're sorry you couldn't join us today. Thank you.